excited as a church to be here this morning to celebrate our risen Lord. And our Lord is risen. Oh, that was weak. <laughs> weak. He is risen. He is risen. That's a little better. All right. Praise the Lord. That's the title of this morning's message. He is risen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We, uh, we hand out invites. We invite people to come along, and if you're new with us here uh, this morning, a special welcome to you. You're welcome to come back. This is not a one-time-a-year event. Please, come on back and hear the Word of God from week to week. It'll speak into your heart. And my prayer this morning is if you have not ever received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that this may be the day. That this may be the time that you would say yes to that invitation to receive Christ into your heart. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's open in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for this uh, time, Lord, that we can once again open up the Word of God. And it gives us the testimony of your resurrection. Lord, it's, it's powerful. It's it's, it's a miracle, Lord, that has never been done before. Until Jesus rose from that dead, from the dead, we were dead in our sins. And Lord, it, it brings us life. It brings us power, Lord. And we're here this morning, Lord, and we want to celebrate the fact that because you live, we live also. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We, today on this Sunday, come to the end of this Passion Week. We started last Sunday with what has been called Palm Sunday. It was that day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of that colt as king of the Jews. The people on that day, they, they began to spread their overcoats in front of Jesus on the ground and they climbed up in the, the trees and they cut down palm branches and laid them in front of Jesus as he made his way down the Mount of Olives there into the city of Jerusalem on the back of that donkey. The people were rejoicing that day. They were praising God, we're told, with loud voices, singing psalms to the Lord. Their Messiah King had finally come. A day that they had been waiting for, praising their King as He made His way down into Jerusalem. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were singing. But just five days later, Many of those same voices were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. From blessing their king to crucify our king. Jesus, in a sense, let them down. 
There were many that were not expecting what was to come. And there were many that wanted to see him die even before that day came. But Jesus didn't come in the way that they thought he would. Jesus would spend the evening in the upper room with his disciples on that Good Friday, partaking of that Passover meal. Something that he had done many times with his disciples. And he said on that evening, he said, it's with fervent desire that I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The disciples didn't even understand that. Even though they had been told, they did not understand the suffering that was to come. And after leaving the upper room that night, Jesus would go to the garden to pray. His disciples would be with him. It would be there on that night that Jesus would be betrayed with a kiss from one of his disciples, one of his followers, Judas Iscariot. The temple guards would arrest Jesus that night. They would take him to stand trial before the chief priests, the religious leaders, and they would condemn him to die. The disciples that night, they were scattered. Peter would deny the Lord, just as the Lord had said that he would. And all of them were hiding in fear at this point. The next morning, after standing before the, the Roman governor and a mob of Jews and religious leaders, Jesus would carry his cross to the place of his crucifixion. And it was there that Jesus, he laid down, I believe, he laid down on that Roman cross. He willfully laid down on that Roman cross and stretched out his arms. He wasn't, they didn't have to fight him to put him down on the cross. He willfully laid down his life for you and I. He stretched out his arms. And he did that because he loves you and I. He wanted you and I to have deliverance from death and from sin. It was the greatest demonstration of the love of God. That he laid down his life for us. Sometime around 9 o'clock in the morning, that good Friday morning, we have the first recorded words from Jesus' lips on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, after spending six hours on the cross, Jesus' final words that are recorded in Luke 23, verse 46. Father, 
Into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, we're told, he breathed his last. He gave up his spirit. He came to the cross for one purpose, for the sins of the world. And one of the greatest statements that have ever been made to this world is John 3.16, and many of you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God's not willing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's every single one of you here this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's not willing that you would perish, but that you would come to repentance, that you would acknowledge in your heart that you need him, as Lord and Savior, that you need your sins forgiven, washed away. That evening, Joseph of Arimathea, another disciple of Jesus, he took the body of Jesus. He bound him in strips of linen with spices to bury Jesus' body. We're told that the place where Jesus was crucified, that it was near a garden. And in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid before. When we read all the details of this day called Good Friday, it makes a person maybe ask the question, so what's so good? about Jesus being unjustly convicted and brutally beaten and then crucified on a Roman cross. What's so good about that? And for the Christian, it's only good because it's what Jesus did on the cross that gives us the good news that we take out to this world, that people can be forgiven. The people can be forgiven of their sins. The people can come into the relationship, a relationship with the living God. He did that for you. It's good news to this world. It's the death, it's the burial, and it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the good news that makes Good Friday good. This morning, we've come into this place to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, we call it. We call it Easter, but it's really Resurrection Sunday. It's the most important event to the Christian faith. It's now early Sunday morning, the first day of the week. The disciples and the other followers of Jesus are still mourning the loss of Jesus. They saw him hanging there on the cross. 
They, when he was taken down, he was dead. There was no doubt. Their Messiah King is dead. Jesus, the hope of Israel, had been shamefully crucified and mocked for all to see. Their hopes were crushed. And they're now in hiding. They're hiding out in fear from the religious leaders and the Romans that were trying to find the other followers of this Jesus. Peter is probably still remembering how he had denied the Lord just as the Lord had said he would. It's been said that the five most important chapters in the entire Bible might be Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20 and 21, because these chapters tell of the most important event in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's been said that the resurrection is the capstone of the whole Bible. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. How important is it to the Christian faith? Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 15, which is the resurrection chapter, Paul wrote this, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men the most pitiable, the most pitiable people because we go out and we preach this resurrection that didn't happen. It's essential that Jesus Christ came out of that tomb and he did. And because he lives, we live also. Amen? Amen. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, he didn't just preach the cross and Christ crucified. He preached also the resurrection. You see, the resurrection is our hope. Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. He says, Jesus being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God he says this to the crowd that was listening. You have taken by lawless hands and you have crucified and put him to death. Whom God, here it is, raised up. 
having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Amen. The gospel message is the good news of Jesus Christ. And we might say that the gospel could be summed up in just three words. The cross, the tomb, and the resurrection. You see, the cross, it speaks of sacrifice. It speaks of sin. It speaks of guilt and shame. It speaks of punishment and forgiveness. It speaks of salvation and unconditional love. It speaks of redemption and reconciliation. It speaks of grace and mercy. That was all displayed at the cross. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15.3, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The tomb, it speaks of death. It speaks of corruption of our bodies. It speaks of sorrow. It speaks of lost hope. And many people, when it comes to death, when it comes to dying, it's lost hope. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.35, What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And then we have the resurrection. A miracle. A miracle of God. One of the greatest miracles of God. Jesus coming back to life. It speaks of hope. It speaks of incorruption. It speaks of glory. It speaks of power. It speaks of immortality. You see, church, we're doing what we do here on earth. Waiting for that day when we're ushered into eternity. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Eternity with the Lord. And the only thing that will keep a person away is if you reject. If you turn away from the salvation. This great salvation that has been offered to you. If you turn away from that. There is no hope. Listen to what. Paul wrote about our old bodies and our new bodies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42, Paul says this about our old body. The body is sown in corruption. You know what happens when you're put into the grave. But it's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. And it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. And there is a spiritual body. And so it is written. The first man, Adam, going all the way back to the beginning of God's creation... He became a living being. The last Adam, speaking of Christ, he became a life-giving spirit. 
However, the spiritual is not the first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. You see, we need to become spiritual. We need to be born again. We need to invite God's spirit to come and dwell within us. The first man was of the earth. He was made of dust, Adam. The second man, speaking of Christ, he is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. That's you and I. And as is the heavenly man, speaking about Jesus Christ, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have born the image of the man of dust, Adam, we also shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Amen? Amen. After the resurrection, we're told that Jesus was seen at least 11 times over 40 days by more than 500 witnesses. By the way, he did this all for you and I. We don't have a blind faith, Christians. We have a, a faith that's supported by facts. Jesus Christ came out of that tomb and he didn't disappear up into heaven. He walked this earth for 40 days, seen by over 500 witnesses in one location, 11 different appearances that he had amongst his disciples and others. He talked with his disciples. He ate with them. He was in a glorified body out of that tomb. But it was tangible. It wasn't just some spirit that was walking around on earth. He had a tangible glorified body. And for you and I, we're going to have a glorified body someday in heaven with him. We read in the book of Acts in chapter 1. That Jesus ascended up gradually from the Mount of Olives into the sky until the clouds received Jesus out of the sight of the disciples. They saw him go up, a tangible body, ascending up into heaven until the clouds received Jesus out of their sight. And he did this all for our benefit. He did it for us. That you would have a faith that has substance to it. You could put your faith in something that you know to be true. People try to disclaim it, don't they? But it'll never happen. Jesus and many that follow Jesus and many of these disciples, all but one that went to a death following it, they were 100% convinced Jesus Christ had come back, come back from the dead, was alive. We saw him ascend up into heaven. And he told us that he's coming back in like manner. Amen? Amen. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, speaking to you and I as Christians, I declare to you the gospel. Which I preached to you, Paul says, and which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you're saved. 
if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This is the gospel, church. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel message. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. He was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. After that he was seen over by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. And last of all, Paul says, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Jesus made it very clear. Jesus made it certain that he had come out of that tomb, that he was alive. That's the gospel message. That's why we're here celebrating on this Resurrection Sunday. Jesus' final appearance is recorded in Luke's gospel in chapter 24. Jesus said to his now apostles, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And Jesus, we're told, opened their understanding at that moment that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said this to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to raise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Jesus was giving his apostles the great commission. He was sending them out. He says, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. You'll receive power. You're going to be these witnesses of me to this whole world. And here we are today, church, 2,000 years later, the same gospel that saved them is the gospel that saves us. We're sitting here rejoicing in the same Jesus, the same resurrection that happened. Praise the Lord. It's awesome. Now, turning your Bibles to John chapter 20, I'm going to finish this resurrection story from last Sunday. We read in chapter 20, verse 1, about this resurrection account, that it was on the first day of the week. That's Sunday, by the way, for the Jew. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, we're told, while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Mary Magdalene. 
getting up early, to go out with the other women even, to prepare the body even further because it had to be put into the tomb in a rushed manner because of the coming Sabbath. They had to, they had to do it quickly. And here's Mary Magdalene getting up early and coming to the tomb on that Easter morning. She saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. The stones would have been typically a large stone cut in a circle that sat in the trough that rolled in front of the opening of the tomb. She saw that the stone had been moved away from the opening. We're told that it was still dark outside. And she saw that it had been taken away from the tomb, this stone. From the other Gospels, we know that there were other women who came along to the tomb. The Mary, the mother of James, Salome, Joanna, and other women with them, with her. But the first to arrive was Mary Magdalene. Or Mary of Magdala, the city that she was from. She's mentioned 12 times in the Gospels. And in Mark chapter 16, it says this of Mary Magdalene. That we read that after Jesus rose, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had cast seven demons. Isn't that awesome? To allow Mary Magdalene to be the first, to the, to the first that he would speak with, a woman who was demon-possessed at one time. And Jesus miraculously delivered her from her demon possession. And, and her sin. And here she is, the first to the tomb. Mary became a disciple and a follower of Jesus. She was at the cross when they hung Jesus there and crucified him. She was at the tomb watching as they laid the body of Jesus that evening in the tomb. She was there watching from a distance as they put him inside. She was the first that early morning that we just read to come to the tomb. She was the first person that Jesus would speak to after he rose from the dead. She was the first to go and tell the disciples the good news he's alive. There's a focus here in this chapter, a testimony upon Mary Magdalene. You see, God takes you and I, those of us that know we're sinners, those of us that have been saved from our sin, and He says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to let your life shine as a testimony of who I am because I can forgive you, I can change your life. From the inside out, Mary Magdalene's life had been changed. John's Gospel doesn't speak of the earthquake that happened that early morning when the stone was rolled away. 
or the angel that rolled the stone away, as we're, we read in another gospel, or the angel that was sitting on the stone that early morning. John focuses on Mary Magdalene, who was going to be this eyewitness. We read in verse 2, Then Mary Magdalene ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple John, whom Jesus loved. And Mary said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. I, I saw the stones roll away and it's empty inside. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple who was John and were going to the, they went to the tomb. And so they both ran together, we're told, and the other disciple, John, outran Peter and came to the tomb. I love this scene. The two of them hearing this news, not knowing even really what to think, just that the body had been taken away, that the stone had been rolled away, and they take off into a run to go to the tomb. Peter, we're told he, out, he outran the other uh, disciple, John, and in verse 5, it says, And John, when he arrived at the tomb, he stooped down and he looked inside and he saw the linen clothes lying there. That's all he saw was the linen cloth that had wrapped the body of Jesus lying inside. Yet we're told that John didn't go in. It's possible he wouldn't go in because he, he knew that it was a disrespectful thing to do that. Or it could be that it was going to be a ritual defilement for him to enter into a, a tomb where somebody had been laid that was dead. But then Simon Peter comes along and follows him, and we're told that Peter went into the tomb. Didn't even think anything of it. He went into the tomb and he saw. Now John saw, but Peter saw. And it's a different Greek word. This Greek word speaks that when John or Peter saw that he began to intently look at the situation, he was thinking, he was considering what he was seeing. He saw these linen cloths lying there. He saw the handkerchief that had been around the head of Jesus not lying with the rest of the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Peter, in the moment, was thinking, it's not adding up. This is not the job of a grave robber. This is not somebody that came and took Jesus' body out of the tomb. 
They would not have taken and neatly folded this and laid it to the side. Peter was thinking. And then the other disciple, John, who couldn't resist, comes into the tomb. He went in also and he saw, and what does your Bible say? And believed. A different Greek word. He perceived intellectually. He took it on board. He perceived. He understood. He knew perfectly in the moment something has happened here. You see, it's a fine line, people. It's a fine line between thinking something might be true and knowing that something is true. There's a lot of people that look at the claims of Christianity and they think, you know what? It sounds good. It sounds like a great story. But is it true? Look at verse 9. For as yet, we're told, they did not know the Scripture, that He must rise again from the dead. And then the disciples were told they went away again to their own homes. What's interesting about this is that the disciples had been told many times. Yet it says here that they did not know the scripture. They didn't know of any scripture. They had been told by Jesus himself. As a matter of fact, in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 20, verse 17, we read now Jesus, when he was coming with his disciples from the area of Galilee going up to Jerusalem, we're told that he took the 12 disciples aside on the road and he said this to them. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. That's one thing he told them. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And then he says this to them. And the third day he will rise again. He already told them. They already heard this. He already told them what was going to come to pass on more than one occasion. Yet they didn't understand. It's a fine line of passing over to when you finally believed, isn't it, church? You heard the claims. You heard time and time again. Yet you didn't believe. You see, you can hear something sometimes many times in your life, but still not know, still not understand, and still not believe. But you've heard it. I've heard it many times. Somebody shared the gospel with me, told me how much Jesus loves me, told me he could forgive me of my sins. I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it. 
And it even sounds good. Yet I don't believe. How many times did someone tell you that Jesus is the only way to get into heaven? The only way to have eternal life? How many times has someone told you that your sins could be forgiven? If you would just admit your guilt and your sin before God, He will forgive you. And how many times did you hear the good news before you believed? Seeds planted in your life. And one day, the light bulb came on. One day, you came to that place where you said, I believe. Verse 11 tells us that Mary stood outside of the tomb that morning weeping. She wept. She, she stooped down as she was weeping and she herself looked into the tomb. Apparently, Mary had returned to the tomb after she told the disciples. She went and told them and then came back to the tomb. And she saw, we're told, two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. I've been in this garden tomb. It's one of two places that people believe that the tomb would have been. It's very likely because this is a garden tomb and it's right next to the place of a skull or place of Golgotha. But it was an amazing time to stand inside of that tomb. And there's a, there's a little plaque on that tomb in the garden tomb. He's not here, he is risen. Isn't that wonderful? And it's true. Then they said to her, the angels, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. It's obvious that Mary still didn't comprehend that Jesus had risen. And now when she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there and she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? These are the types of questions Jesus asks us. He's asking you. Who are you seeking? What are you really looking for in life? We're told that she supposed Jesus to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And the first thing that I see in this is that Mary had this strong devotion to her Lord. She just wanted to take me where you've laid him. I, I'll, I'll go get his body. I want to finish what I came here to do. 
It's an interesting parallel with Mary Magdalene. Because if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, the first book of the Bible, you realize that it was a woman that was there with Adam in the garden who was first tempted there in the garden. And now it's a woman, Mary Magdalene, that's in a garden tomb area who Jesus first speaks to. Isn't that incredible? Only God can do those things. He wanted to reveal himself to her. And it only took one word. Look what it says in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and she said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Just one word. Mary. You see, Jesus said in John 10, 27, that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Mary knew his voice. Can you imagine the emotion that Mary had in the moment? She reached out to grab hold of Jesus. And Jesus said to Mary, he said, Do not cling to me, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and to your God. There's been many views as to why Jesus would say to her, don't cling to me. But I think probably the most simple one is that Jesus said, I'm going to ascend to my father. And he knew as Mary was grabbing hold of him, she wasn't going to let him go. That simple. She was moved with emotion and excitement in the moment when she heard him speak her name, Mary. Verse 18, we're told that Mary came. She's going to be the first to proclaim this good news. Mary came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. And then that same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled there in that house. They were there, we're told, because of fear of the Jews. And Jesus, we're told, came and stood in their midst. And he said to them, peace be with you. Have you ever heard those words in your own heart? You see, the God of all peace is the only one that can really bring peace in your heart. He's the only one that can bring peace between you and God. When he forgives you of your sin, there is no longer a battle that is going on in your heart. You now have peace with God. Peace be with you. The God of all peace was standing alive in their midst. 
when he had said this, verse 20, we're told that he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus says to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I have to think that they were trembling in fear, trembling in awe, trembling as they saw the Lord show his hands and show where he had been pierced. Just put yourself in that place. The God of all peace was there in their midst. And I think just those words rolling off of his lips brought them brought that peace to them in the moment. And when he had said this, look at verse 22, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed the breath of God. He breathed upon his disciples and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you think that they received the Holy Spirit? They did. You see, the disciples up to this point did not have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of them because they had Jesus walking alongside them. But now Jesus knew that he was going to depart from this earth back to heaven. And he says, I'm going to send you the promise of my Father. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit that is going to live and dwell inside of you. And he breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. You've heard people talk about being born again. It's the Spirit of God that comes in and takes your dead spirit. And makes it alive by God's Holy Spirit. You become born again by the living God. It's a miracle of God for Him to have His Holy Spirit come and make residence within you. Verse 23. If you forgive... He tells his disciples this. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And I believe what Jesus is telling his disciples here. There are many different uh, opinions on this. But I believe that what Jesus is saying. That he's giving his disciples the right to declare that a person's sins can be forgiven. What does that mean to you and I? I believe that you can go out and you can tell a person that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sin. But if you reject that invitation of salvation, if you reject that forgiveness that Jesus offered, then your sin remains and you remain in your sin. And there will be judgment for those who will reject that salvation, that great salvation that Jesus Christ has offered. He went to the cross. He bore our sin so that we could live. And when we reject that invitation, it's the only sin that cannot be forgiven. The only sin. There is not a sin that you have ever committed in your life or that you're committing even now in your life that Jesus Christ will not and cannot forgive. His shed blood can cleanse you and will continue to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Verse 24, now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. In other words, for that first Sunday, for that first time that Jesus came into their presence. The other disciples were told, therefore, said to Thomas, 
We have seen the Lord, Thomas. And so he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, what's he say? I will not believe. You see, there's some of us here. There's some of people in this world. Unless you show me somebody coming out of that gym, unless I see it with my physical eyes, I don't believe. I'm not going to believe it. Thomas was one of those. He needed something more. I won't believe. And our God is so gracious, so merciful, that after eight days, his disciples were again inside. And Thomas, this time, was with them. And Jesus came. The doors, we're told, were shut. And they stood in the midst. And he said, peace to you. And he said to Thomas, Thomas, reach your finger here. And look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. He says to Thomas, Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Here it is, Thomas. Here it is. You can see. And Thomas answered and said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. And that's you and I. Have you ever seen Jesus with your, with your physical eyes? Have you ever walked with Him on this earth? Yet you sit here today 100% convinced that Jesus Christ is alive, that He lives in your heart. That's a work of God. Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. What do you need to believe? And we finish in verse 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, what was written, they have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. If you're struggling with belief, if you're struggling with believing in all this, then I encourage you to take the Gospel of John and read it from the first chapter to the last chapter and read about the life of Jesus Christ. Read about what he has done that you might believe that he is the Christ, that he is the Savior, that he is the one you've been waiting for. Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. I want to close, and I'm going to have the worship team come up, but I want to close with a a few comments here. I want you that are here this morning to look around. And it's okay. Flip your head around. I don't care. Look around. There's many people here today, and I know this, that their lives have been changed by Jesus Christ. 
changed by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Changed people. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, he says, Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death, just that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life, a new quality of living. That's what you'll get if you accept Christ as Lord and Savior, if you receive him as Lord and Savior, a newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Amen? But I also want you to look up. I want you to look around. But I want you to look up. Jesus came out of that tomb alive. Jesus ascended from that Mount of Olives up into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he's coming back for those that are his. Amen? Amen. Paul wrote in Romans 8.34, who is he who condemns asking a question? It is Christ who died and furthermore has also risen who is even at the right hand of God who makes, also makes intercession for us. And third thing I would like you to do is to look inside. Look inside of yourself. Ask yourself the question do you believe are you one who is filled with doubts like Thomas have you been made alive by God's Holy Spirit do you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of you this morning and if you say yes then I'm going to ask you the question how did he get there how did his Holy Spirit, because he doesn't just come and make his way into every, it's to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Paul says in Romans 8.11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Ask yourself the question as you look within, do I have the spirit of God dwelling in me? Because it also says in Romans 8, if anyone has not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. It's a good question. Paul says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and you believe in your heart, not just with your head, but you believe with your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I can give you that assurance based upon the word of God. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. I need you, Lord. I need forgiveness. I believe what you did on the cross, paid the penalty for my sin. I believe you were put into a tomb and that you were completely dead and you came out of that tomb alive and you went back into heaven and you're coming back again. There's no doubt in my mind, Lord, I believe. 
You'll be saved. In John 5.24, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Has passed. Passed. If you know Christ, you have already passed from death to life. Amen? We're going to sing a song. Let's all stand to our feet. I'm going to pray. And if everyone here would just bow their head. And I want to pray for anyone that might be here that does not know Jesus Christ. I'm not going to even ask you to come forward up to the front up here. I'm just going to ask that you would simply raise your hand as we as I'm as we're worshiping, as I pray, raise your hand and leave your hand raised and I'm going to pray for you. Because I believe that there are those here today that do not know Jesus Christ, that are not born again, that do not have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. I believe that there are those that have been invited today to come to this place because today is the day of salvation. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today because your life is as a vapor. It's here for a moment and then it vanishes away. That's the warning that we have in Scripture. Make sure of your position with Jesus Christ today before you leave. All you need to do is raise your hand. I'll come out and find you. You raise your hand and we'll pray more and we'll talk. But let's all bow our heads. Let's worship the Lord. Father, I lift up, Lord, those that have come today, those that have been invited, those that don't normally even come to this church. Lord, I pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit and the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak, Lord, loudly and clearly into their hearts. And Lord, if there's anyone here that they might acknowledge that, not before me, but before you, by raising their hand, raise your hand. Even now, if you do not know Jesus Christ and you want him in your life, today is the day. And I strongly encourage you not to leave here if you don't have that assurance in your heart that you know him. Raise your hand and I'll pray for you. Anyone at all. Raise your hand. I see one hand raised. Is there anybody else? Raise your hand. This is your acknowledgement before the Lord. This is you saying yes to Jesus, not to me, not to this church. You're not even joining this church. You're saying to the Lord, I need you in my life. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for this person that has raised their hand to you. Lord, I pray, Lord, for this man, Lord, that you would touch him. And maybe if there's a hand that I didn't see, but Lord, that you would touch by your Holy Spirit, that you would cleanse, that you would forgive, Lord, by your precious blood. 
Lord, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fill this person even now with all power, with all uh, discernment, Lord, that this person would know that today they accepted you as Lord and Savior in their life. And Lord, I just pray for the rest of us, Lord, that you would stir our hearts. We have your power. We have your Holy Spirit, Lord. Let us go out this week. Let us compel people to come into this place to hear the gospel, to hear the word of God. And we thank you, Lord, for this day. We rejoice in it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close in a worship song.